Hey, I'm Zach. I'm the lead pastor here at Restore. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast today. I hope that this message encourages you. I hope that it inspires you. And I hope that it causes you to dive deeper into God's word. I also hope that you have some community around you that you can talk through some of these things with. Now, I want to remind you that we are in the middle of our year in the story, which is really this deep dive into God's great story and our place in it. If you'd like more information about that or more information about our community here at Restore, you can get that on our website at restoreaustin.org. We'd really love to see you soon. Thanks for listening. Right now, and, and in the hours of time changes and all over the world, hundreds of millions of Christians are gathering together to remember and celebrate what I believe is the, the climax of human history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Christians believe that, that everything before the resurrection points forward to it, and that everything afterwards looks back on it. Jesus is, without question, religious and secular scholars agree, the single most influential character in human history. Just consider the evidence with me for a second. The Gregorian calendar, that's the one that we all use, it's the most widely used calendar in the world and has been for the last thousand years. It is the global standard calendar recognized by the vast majority of international groups, including the United Nations. This calendar is divided into two parts, B.C. and A.D. Do you know what those stand for? B.C. stands for before Christ, and A.D. stands for Anno Domino, which means the year of our Lord. The world's calendar is literally centered around Jesus. B.C., before Christ, everything before his birth looks forward to it, and then A.D., afterwards, everything looks back on it. Consider this. Jesus never wrote a book, and yet there are more books written about him than about any other subject, and the best-selling book of all time, the Bible, is about him as well. Jesus never composed a song, but there is more music written about him than any other subject in history. He never painted a canvas or sculpted a stone, but more art has been made about Jesus than any other subject in history. Jesus never traveled more than 100 miles from his birthplace, and yet you can find his followers in almost every city, town, and village across the world. Amazing. But as climactic as Jesus's life, death, and resurrection certainly are, I have become convinced over the last year that it is vital for us to understand them inside of the larger story that God is telling. This is true for any story, right? You remember the end of Forrest Gump? You remember Forrest is talking to Jenny, he's standing in front of her gravestone, he's telling her all about how well little Forrest is doing, you know, and I cry every time listening to him talk about how great little Forrest is and how much he misses her. And it's a moving scene in and of itself, but it wouldn't mean quite as much without us knowing the up-and-down love story that Forrest and Jenny shared. The death of Tom Robinson in To Kill a Mockingbird, it wouldn't make us seethe with rage as much if we didn't know about his innocence and about the racism that preceded his death. Frodo and Gollum fighting over the ring on Mount Doom wouldn't bring us to the edge of our seats if we didn't see, like, the first 12 hours of that film series <laughs> beforehand, right? Stories make the most sense, and they are the most impactful when we understand them as they are meant to be understood from beginning to end. 
Easter is amazing. The resurrection is an event with unmatched importance and influence. I believe it is the climax of human history, but it is happening inside of a much larger story. And that's why back in August of 2018, here at Restore, we began something called A Year in the Story. And over the last nine months, we've looked at God's great story and our place in it by dividing it into various teaching series. The first one we did was called Eden. And that just looked at at Genesis 1 through 3 and the beginning of everything. We talked about what, what really matters in Genesis 1 through 3, what's important, what's ultimate inside of that. We did a series called Heaven, Hell, and Other Things We Don't Understand Very Well, which was one of my favorite series we've ever done. We talked about heaven and we talked about hell. We talked about kind of the end of the story, if you will, the new heaven and new earth that Jesus is coming back to create. We just finished a series called Ephesians, where we just took eight weeks and and dove deeply into one of Paul's letters to the early churches. And we've looked at every single part of God's great story throughout this year. If you want to check any of those out, you can find them on our YouTube or Vimeo or our podcast. But this morning, we are wrapping up a three-part teaching series that is called In My Place, as you saw just a second ago. And in this series, we've been keeping with our year in the story theme by tracing the sacrificial lamb throughout God's great story. You see, the sacrificial lamb is God's plan to fix the brokenness in our world caused by evil and by sin. Now, I know that I just used a word that makes some of us a little uncomfortable. The word sin has been used in in not helpful ways. Right? We, we've seen it used to encourage legalism, the false belief that we can earn God's favor with our morality, that he, that he needs something from us. It's been used to bully people who think differently than us. It's even been used to marginalize large groups in society and make them feel like they don't have a place in God's family. And all of that is, is horrific and it's wrong and actually all of that is sin. But sin isn't a bad word. It's a biblical word that has unfortunately been used in some very unbiblical ways. But if we understand it inside of God's great story, we avoid using it in ways that God detests. Very simply, sin occurs when someone chooses to hurt themselves or someone else. We've all experienced this. Each and every one of us have been hurt by someone, and each and every one of us have hurt ourselves or someone else, and it's not just once or twice. We struggle with this, right? Over and over day after day. And the Bible teaches that God hates sin. But it's not because he's this angry monster that flies off the handle anytime we step out of bounds or do something wrong. It's because he hates seeing his children, his creation, hurt and in pain. Sin also breaks our relationship with God because at its core, sin is the choice to trust in something other than our creator, to go a different way from what he has designed us to do. He said the two greatest commands are to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. When we do anything counter to that, we are sinning. We are turning our backs on the plan that he has for us. God hates the brokenness that sin leaves in its wake. He hates to see his kids and his creation in pain. So God came up with a plan to rid the world of sin and evil. Now, there would be a really easy way for God to accomplish this. He could just rid the world of the ones who keep giving in to sin and to evil, right? That's us. But God's story tells us that his love for us is too great for that to happen. 
He looked down at us like a loving father looks down at his hurting children. He was filled with grief as he saw how our sin hurt us. He was filled with pain because of our broken relationship with him. And so he chose to enact a plan that would rid the world of evil and of sin and of their effects without ridding the world of us too. One of my favorite pastors is a guy named Tim Mackey, and he says it like this. This is what's so remarkable about the story of the Bible. This God is so good that not only is he going to rid the world of evil, he's going to do it without destroying humanity. He loves us too much. So enter in to the story, the sacrificial lamb. Our tracing of this sacrificial lamb of God that he uses to fix the brokenness in the world started back in the Old Testament with something called the sacrificial system. You may have heard of this in the Old Testament. The book of Leviticus outlines this system, and and here is the key verse. God says, for the life of the creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes the atonement for one's life. Atonement is fixing the brokenness caused by sin and evil. But notice here that, that God says, I have given it to you. This is the foundation of God's plan to fix the brokenness in our world. God provides the way to fix it. God provides the sacrifice. We break things, he fixes them. We sin, he sacrifices. We are in need, and he provides. And his provision often comes, most often comes, in the form of a lamb. This was true in the Old Testament sacrificial system. It was also true in the predictions in the Old Testament about the coming of the Savior, of the Messiah. In the most famous of these predictions, the prophet Isaiah says it like this. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We have left God's paths to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. And listen, he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. This was the central focus of our teaching last week. Jesus as the ultimate sacrificial lamb. That's why when a guy named John the Baptist first sees Jesus, God with skin on here on the earth, walking toward him, he says this, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is what we mean when we say the foundation of God's plan to fix the brokenness in us and in this world is that he provides the sacrifice. You see, first it was animals, but then it was himself. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, came to bring an ultimate and everlasting fix to the brokenness in our world, the the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. This is the backstory of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. This is the importance for us to understand where this fits inside of a larger story that God is telling. And y'all, it's the same backstory that those around Jesus would have known and would have remembered as they watched him die on the cross. They would have remembered the story. 
They would have remembered back to Isaiah's prediction that he would be led like a lamb to the slaughter. They would have remembered back to John the Baptist's announcement, behold the lamb of God. And even Jesus' own words when he said the son of man came not to serve, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. They would have remembered all of that, the story leading up to this. But I think even more, maybe more than anything else, Jesus' disciples would have remembered back to what happened one night before Jesus died as they shared their last meal together during something called Passover. The Last Supper is what it came to be known as. Now, Passover was a big deal, a big deal in the Jewish world. Each year, its arrival was announced by silver trumpets blown on top of the Temple Mount that could be heard all over the city of Jerusalem. And guess what Passover always centered around? A lamb. Every year, including the first Passover, when when God's people were enslaved in Egypt, they would kill and cook and eat a lamb. This was their annual reminder of the God who provides and the God who saves. Passover was so important because not only did it look back on the freeing of God's people from slavery in Egypt, it also looked forward to the coming of the Savior who would free the people from their slavery to sin. Unbeknownst to most of the world at the time, this Savior, Jesus, was already with them. We pick up the story as Passover begins, Mark 14. It says, Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priest and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples telling them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, say to the owner of the house he enters, the teacher asks, where is my guest room? Where may I eat Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs that came to be called the upper room, furnished and ready, make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city and found things just as Jesus told him. So they prepared the Passover. So they're up in the upper room. They're preparing the Passover meal. They get everything ready, and they they sit down around a table a little while later, and Jesus says, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Jesus had eagerly desired to eat this Passover because he knew that this Passover was the one that would change everything. The Savior that had been anticipated for thousands of years was finally here, and he was ready to set his people free. The sacrificial lamb had come. The people of God had been celebrating the Passover the same way every year for for thousands of years. But on that night, Jesus changed everything. It says, and he took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Now, you may or may not know this, but but bread and wine were featured prominently in the Passover meal because of what God's people went through after they were freed from slavery in Egypt. So the bread symbolized God's daily provision. As they wandered through the desert, he, he descended the manna down from heaven, right? He gave them their daily bread, the things that they needed every day. That's what the bread represented in the Passover meal. And the wine represented the joy of finding the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. 
But around the table that night, Jesus changed those symbols. He says the bread represents his body and the wine represents his blood. Instead of saying, remember Egypt, he says, remember me. He changes things. And the Passover meal that night and looking forward is forever changed. It's no longer about God rescuing his people from slavery in Egypt. It's about God in the flesh, Jesus rescuing his people from slavery to sin. How beautiful is that? I love how Bishop N.T. Wright says it. He says, when Jesus wanted to explain to his followers what his forthcoming death was all about, he did not give them a theory, a model, a metaphor, or any such thing. He gave them a meal. As Jesus talked about his body being broken and his blood being poured out that night, I am sure that the disciples were confused and maybe even a little bit scared. If you know their backstory, they thought that the Savior of the world was going to come to overthrow the Romans who were in power, to take back power for the nation of Israel, and to install the disciples next to King Jesus as, as kings themselves over everything else. That's what they thought the plan was, and they thought it was all about to happen. As they sat around the table that night, I bet they were waiting for, for battle plans for instructions on, on how they were going to subvert the, the kingdom of Rome, how they were going to kill the people that were in charge and take over. But instead, Jesus says, no, 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 no. I'm going to die. I bet they were scared, right? I bet they were confused. But the very next day, it would all make sense as they saw Jesus die on the cross. And I know that they would have been thinking things like, this is what Isaiah meant. When he said that the Savior of the world would be led like a lamb to the slaughter. This is what John the Baptist meant. When he saw Jesus and he said, here is the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. And this is what Jesus meant. When he said that his body would be broken and that his blood would be poured out as a ransom for many. I'm sure it dawned on them in that moment as Jesus breathed his last breath that he was a sacrificial lamb just like the ones that they had used for thousands of years to atone for their sin, to fix the brokenness in their lives and in their world. And we know from the accounts of Jesus' life that his friends and loved ones after his death were absolutely devastated, and, and we can know why, of course. The answer is obvious, because their friend, their teacher, the one that many of them gave up their whole lives to follow after was dead. It's traumatic. He was a sacrificial lamb, and now he laid his life down. And listen, if there is one thing they knew for sure about sacrificial lambs, it is that they stay dead, right? If there is one thing that for thousands of years they had seen over and over and over again, if they made sacrifices, God provided sacrifices, was that sacrificial lambs stayed dead. Every single one of them. But not this one. Not this time. Luke chapter 24 records what happens next in the story. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. He has risen. Jesus is the lamb that death couldn't hold down. 
the first and only sacrificial lamb that didn't stay dead. And there is only one explanation for how this is possible, and that is that Jesus is God. He is the divine in the flesh. He is God with skin on. God provides the sacrifice. First it was animals, and then it was himself. And as Jesus dies, he descends into death in order to deal death a fatal blow. Jesus overcomes death with life and now offers that life to each and every one of us. And I'm telling you that it's not just someday. It's not just life someday in heaven. It's now and it's eternally. This was the mission of Jesus' life death and resurrection. It was his purpose. It was why he came. In John 10.10, he famously says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. A full life now and forever, a life that death cannot hold down. His desire is to give us this life, not just someday in heaven, but right now, even in the midst of this broken world. And then someday, the Lamb of God will return to fix this broken world and to make all things new. And that's what the end of God's great story is all about. Listen to these excerpts from the last pages of the Bible. Then I looked. I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. He who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne, that's the lamb, said, I am making everything new. No longer will there be a curse upon anything for the throne of God and of the lamb will be there. You say amen. That, my friends, is the story of the Lamb of God from beginning to end. The one who offers us life to the full both now and forevermore. It's our hope that we talked about earlier. I want to close with one last story this morning. 
Two days ago on Good Friday, the oldest member of our Restore family passed away. Her name was Virginia. Virginia sat faithfully on, on that back row every single Sunday until she got too sick to live alone and she moved in with her niece in San Antonio. Now, some of you don't know this unless you've been with us for a few years, but we haven't always had these chairs, these kind of nice, comfortable chairs. We used to have these like 50-year-old metal folding chairs that we borrowed from the middle school. They were kind of rough to sit on, I'm not going to lie. But Virginia didn't let that stop her. She brought a cushion with her every Sunday, and she sat on that cushion. If I close my eyes and I look back there, I can still see her. I think that she liked my, my teaching, but there's no doubt that she loved the music most of all. That was her thing. She would stand up, put her hands in the air, and she would start to dance a little bit, and she would sing as loud as she could. I was talking with some of her family members after she passed away this weekend, and, and they said things that we usually hear when someone dies. Things like, she's with Jesus now. She, she doesn't have any pain anymore. Now she's experiencing the life she's always dreamed of. And, and, and I think that's true to some extent. Certainly she doesn't have any pain anymore, right? The sickness is gone. She's experiencing life in the most beautiful way. But y'all, I am here to tell you that she was with Jesus long before she passed away. She was experiencing the full life that he promised even in the midst of her pain and her sickness. Virginia had an intimate encounter with the Lamb of God many years ago, and her life was never the same. He offered her his resurrected life, and she accepted it. She placed her faith in Jesus, and he never left her, and he never let her down. She is by his side even now as we speak, as we talk about her. She is dancing and singing with her hands in the air. And the only difference now is that she dances without pain and she doesn't need a cushion when she sits down anymore. But she has been with Jesus, experiencing the life that he offers since the day she placed her faith in him. Now, I know that life isn't easy. I know that life isn't easy. When I woke up this morning and, and we came and, and we get here about 7 o'clock and we start setting all of this stuff up, we get a break usually around 9 a.m. And about 9 a.m. I pulled out my phone and I, I was scrolling through Twitter and I saw about the tax in, in Sri Lanka. And I was just, I was just devastated. I was devastated. 200 people killed, 500 more injured people just like us sitting in church services. I made that announcement a second ago. I don't know if some of you saw this, but I, I made that announcement and, and I prayed and I walked off and we started singing and I went to the back wall and I just cried for like a good five minutes. This world is, is hard. I'm not going to be up here and I'm not going to tell you that it's not. But I am going to tell you that there is a place to find hope, that there is a person in whom to find life, not just someday when this world is all fixed up, but, but now in the midst of the brokenness. I found it when I was 17 years old. 
And it has changed every single thing about my life. Everything. And I'm telling you that I look out at your faces and I love each and every one of you too much to watch you try to walk through life and navigate this life, this broken world, without that hope. It's too much. You weren't meant to do it. It's too hard. We have a God that left the perfection of heaven, that came to the brokenness of earth, that died, was buried, and rose from the grave because of his great love for you and for me. I didn't make this all up to make you feel good. This is straight from God's great story. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5 says, God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even when we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Jesus Christ from the dead. He loves us too much to watch us walk through this broken world alone. And whether you are a Christian and you just need that reminder or you aren't and you need to hear that for the first time, I'm going to say it once again. God loves you so much that he laid his life down for you, that he descended into death and defeated it for you, that he rose again on Easter morning so that you could have life, his life, to the full, today and every day. We're going to end our gathering this morning with a song called Behold the Lamb. Keeping with our, our theme of the Lamb of God. And as we sing about the Lamb of God and his great love, me and some of our prayer team are going to be right there in that little pop-up sign that says prayer. We're just going to go stand over there. No matter what you are going through this morning, no matter if you call yourself a Christian or not, if you would like to pray with someone, we will be there to pray with you. And if you aren't yet a Christian, but if after hearing the story of the Lamb of God, of his great love and mercy, Jesus is pulling at your heart, I would especially love to pray with you. I'm going to be right over there. Would you stand with me? I'm going to pray, and we're going to close with Behold the Lamb. God, what a, what a heavy and beautiful morning. Thank you that you did not look down on a world full of brokenness and full of broken people and say, well, that's just what they get. Those are the choices that they've made. They're going to have to live with them. God, you didn't do that. You looked down on us, on your children, on your image bearers, and you said, enough. I'm not going to let them walk through life like that anymore. I'm not going to let them wallow in their brokenness anymore. I'm going to give them a way out, a way to freedom from the slavery of sin. God, I pray for any of us that have placed our faith in you before that we would be reminded of your great love for us, reminded of, of the why behind all of this. And for anyone who would not yet call themselves a Christian, but, but that your Holy Spirit is, is, is pulling at them, God, and drawing them to you and to your great love, I pray that they would place their faith in you, that they would stop trying to control everything, trying to fix everything themselves, and, and realize that the only fix for the brokenness in this world is your great love in us and working through us to accomplish your will. God, be with us this morning. Fill us with your love. Help us feel it in our bones, God. 
Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you that the grave was empty when those women went to check. Thank you that you overcame death with life and you offer it to us. I pray that we reach out our hands and accept it. In Jesus' name.